Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Over the past few weeks, parents, like us, have all had the same experience. Getting our kids ready to go back to school. You grab their backpack, their snacks, their lunch, their water bottle, and then, for the third year, you reach for their mask. The Omicron variant has resulted in the highest number of COVID-19 cases Arizona has seen in months. Omicron is twice as contagious as the Delta variant was, and at least four times as contagious as the first strain we experienced back in March 2020. This has parents nervous at the beginning of 2022 about sending their children back to K-12 schools. But schools that don't return in person run the risk of losing school funding. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez with Ron Hansen. Today, we take a closer look at what's going on within Arizona's public school system related to the latest variant. How are they staying open? And what could that mean for parents and students moving forward? For that, we're joined by Yana Kunachov. She's the K-12 education reporter at the Arizona Republic. Recently, she's become somewhat of an expert on how schools are handling COVID-19 and how they're trying to work within the state's regulations. Yana, welcome to The Gaggle. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's go ahead and just start with the big picture. We are in year three. We've had billions of dollars in COVID relief funds dedicated to help make schools safer How has that money been used to try to reinforce uh, public health measures inside the schools here in Arizona? Yeah, um, so I think that's a really good place to start because the COVID relief money has been a really big deal for schools across the state. Um, So some schools have used that to up their ventilation. Schools have used that to hire more support staff. So these are sort of... um, like really direct ways to help districts as they're impacted by COVID spread. I think one one reality about COVID-19 mitigation measures in schools is that most public health experts say that uh, some of the key elements of that are mask wearing, are people following quarantine and exposure guidance. So that's, those are elements that maybe investment helps, but they're actually about schools just having strong mitigation and public health policies. And unfortunately, that is, it's like just really a very um, kind of wide range of approaches that schools in Arizona have taken to actually adopting mitigation strategies. Okay. So we mentioned earlier that Omicron is very contagious and spreads very easily. As a result, Unsurprisingly, a lot of teachers have called out sick, and you reported that substitute teachers aren't ready to jump into a classroom right now either. How is this affecting how students are learning this year? 
COVID-19 in general has caused a ton of disruption. And the core of that has been in who are the staff that are in front of students every day in school. So um, unlike a lot of schools around the country, Arizona schools have actually mostly stayed in person. But the reality is that that experience is not what it would be like in a normal school year. So you might have a long-term sub, um, or you might have the math tutor covering a class, which means that what curriculum a student is doing will look different. You also are going to have fewer art or music classes because those special teachers are being pulled to cover classes. And then you're going to have kids themselves who are um, kind of in a rolling way going to be out because of quarantine and and exposures, um, especially in schools that don't require masks where COVID spread is higher. And there have been a handful of districts that decide to go remote, including some that decide to start the year school year January 2022 remote just to minimize case numbers. But I think Arizona schools are mostly staying open, but they're doing so at, I think, a really high cost to both what the day-to-day learning looks like and for a lot of teachers who are already stressed at their sort of at their breaking point in a lot of ways. And as for rumors about teachers or school staff who are being asked to come up with lists of parents who can watch kids, I think that 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 definitely some of the districts I'm talking to are thinking of parent volunteers to come in. And I think that schools are kind of going for almost all options on the table right now to keep kids in school and with adults in front of them. So that absolutely has meant calling on parent volunteers. It has meant principals are subbing every single day in classrooms and the emergency credentials in Arizona that mean that many people would be able to step into classrooms, um, like just opens a door to a broad, a broad range of adults to do that. And the school, the state school board is going to be weighing an administrative change that would allow people to hold an emergency substitute credential for two years instead of one year, and then also allow substitutes to stay in classrooms longer. So I think to me, that is just a sign of the reality that the school systems need long-term substitutes to keep students learning and in classrooms. And then the, the other thing that I would just mention is that I think a lot of the uncertainty and especially the wave of this new variant that has hit schools so hard the last few weeks is having a real mental health impact um, on questions about sort of like the certainty of the future for young people. I'm hearing that a lot. So I think that is is impacting learning. Jumping off on that, when it comes to mental health, what are you hearing on the ground from schools um, and their ability to address the needs uh, with the mental health issues that they're seeing with kids? A lot of behavioral issues, um, a lot of needs that went unmet during the time period where a lot of students were online and some of those um, resources were just too difficult to provide or the setting was just very weird and didn't necessarily meet those needs. So what's happening on that front? And a lot of these kids have IEPs, I'm presuming. Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing um, some level of mental health issues just like really across the board with students who might be in special education and also just really broadly um, because I think young people dealing with this uncertainty has been really difficult. So Arizona was already struggling with um, not having enough counselors. There's a really low counselor to student ratio. Um, So what you're seeing is that 
folks who were already there to provide mental health supports are working extra. I think you have classroom teachers who are sort of stepping in to help students deal with grief or to deal with um, kind of like this range of discipline issues. And that's adding to educator burnout. I think what we're, we're also seeing is students sort of rally around together. So I'm hearing about schools that are starting um, like a Black student union to find connection with young people or after school groups. So I think there's a sense that everyone is doubling down to um, to sort of keep people connected, but that it that is a real impact every day in classes. That's a, a coping response to this. There's also just more tangible sort of uh, necessity questions. You reported that Madison Elementary School sent an email to parents that they ordered a two-week supply of kits, but they weren't sure when it was going to arrive, meaning that students and teachers would have to quarantine until they could test negative. Now, that's a pretty well-funded school district in the Biltmore area of Phoenix. How's the testing kit shortage impacting rural or or less well-funded districts around Arizona? Yeah, the testing shortage is is a really big deal. So what what we're seeing is there's there's relatively few programs across the state that had a test to stay. So Madison was one of the was one that was piloting it, um, and obviously that that program was impacted. But a lot of other schools tended to rely rather than having in school testing programs tended to partner with either their local counties or. Um, other local health providers. And so what you saw was that when there was a test shortage everywhere, that impacted students and parents. And then those test sites, which already had limited hours, were dealing with limited tests. So rural schools and less resource schools are always feeling the sharp edge of all of this. And I think especially in rural areas where families might have to travel longer to get to a testing site, um, or there may just be less available than somewhere like Phoenix, I think has really has really been um, it's really been an issue. One of the other big issues is this whole challenge of learning loss for this, especially for this young generation of students. And Governor Doug Ducey is is going to try to address this. He said in his State of the State address earlier this month that there would be a new summer learning camp proposal that he hopes will get some of these students caught up with some of the basics like math, reading, civics. How could that help in a meaningful way or do we know yet with some of these kids who are who are experiencing challenges? Yeah, I think in general, summer school has been shown to help students and a lot of districts use a lot of districts use their covid rescue funds this last summer to have sort of like reading boot camps so i think additional options particularly for in person learning when that's been really disrupted have been shown to be helpful um, i think an open question that i have about this new proposal is the extent to which the civics component is going to engage with some of these bigger controversies around what is taught in school and how that will impact i think tension for students in Arizona, particularly students of color around teaching of race and racism um, in schools. So I think that remains to be seen. But more broadly, I would say that what has been most disruptive for students is that the COVID spread means that in-person school is kind of constantly threatened all over the state. So summer school is a way to help mitigate some of that. Um, but what a lot of the teachers and school administrators I'm speaking to want is a way to 
make sure that sort of the core of the school year remains as undisturbed as possible. Ducey also used his big yearly moment to ask lawmakers to expand school choice. We know that Arizona has been ground zero in many ways for the school choice movement. We have seen the governor and key Republican lawmakers try to do this in various ways, some uh, successfully, some not so successfully, uh, down at the state legislature to try to expand the Empowerment Scholarship Account Program, which allows parents to direct funds that would have otherwise gone to their public school districts to private school tuition, therapies, that sort of thing. Looks as though he's doubling down and he's sort of going for broke on this front. Do you have a sense as to how Republicans are going to try to leverage this moment of disruption, of learning disruption, of COVID disruption to try to accomplish their goals on school choice? Yeah, so um, really just at the the most immediate level, I think some of the very specific grant programs that is essentially function much like the ESA program that the governor has put forward and that allow families to um, get funding and even for tuition if their school closes for a day or offers extra funding to schools that don't have mask mandates, I think is very much in line with what we've seen in the Republican approach to um, disincentivizing mask mandates and then also allowing families to step out of the schools that they're in. And I, I think the question of how those programs could help or hurt parents, from, from what we've seen so far, there hasn't actually been um, broad uptake of those programs. So um, our reporter Stacey Barchanger wrote about one of the grant programs that allowed parents to apply for funding if their school had a mask mandate and showed that they had the, sort of a system with a lot of steps to apply and it hadn't been like not all of that money had been had been used or requested by parents so far. So my sense is that it, it hasn't been broadly applied. Um, and also, obviously, the federal government is cracking down and saying those funds may have been misused. So I think the question, uh, there's sort of an open question of the future of those programs. I think more broadly, the disruption in public schools and the fact that schools closed last year has, I think, pushed some families to consider these alternative options that are much farther along in development in Arizona than in other places. So a bill passed last summer um, allowed schools to make new online schools. There's also the growth of micro schools. I'm hearing about larger numbers of homeschooling. So my sense is that there are lower barriers to entry for some of those alternatives to traditional schooling in Arizona that some families have taken up and that I expect to see the legislature um, invest in more. You mentioned parents earlier. Um, give us a sense of what you've heard from parents uh, who are trying to help cope and manage this uh, ongoing COVID crisis. Do you get the sense that they have are satisfied with the guidance they have received from their schools? Do you get the sense that they are embracing the challenge of trying to keep schools open or are they just putting up with it because they have no alternatives? 
Yeah, um, a lot of the parents I've spoken to have said that in many ways, this is the hardest school year since the pandemic has started so far, um, just because they came in with such high hopes that vaccinations and just more knowledge about the virus would lead to a less disrupted school year, which has really not been the case. So I think a lot of parents, even those who feel like they get good communication from their school districts, are confused about how to handle quarantines, how to handle exposures. And I think what has happened, especially as the Omicron variant has spread through schools, is that there's a breakdown in communication to parents, in part because you need staff to count COVID numbers, you need staff to communicate with parents. So we're seeing schools that are saying, don't tell us when you're child is absent because we just don't have the staff to handle that or the numbers are going to be a week late because we don't have the staff to count those. So my sense is that there's just an ongoing threat of anxiety with parents and we're publishing an explainer to talk through some of that. So folks should definitely reach out with questions, um, but it seems to be an increasingly hard time. Well, Yana, thank you for joining us here and helping folks get their arms around this uh, complicated, never-changing issue. If people want to find you online, where can they find you? Yeah, I am on Twitter at, at Y-A-N-A-Z-U-R-E, and people can always email me. It's Y-K-U-N-I-C-H-O-F-F at ArizonaRepublic.com. Thank you, Yana. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. We're now joined on The Gaggle by Mark Jornstead. He's the executive director of the Arizona Schools Administration, and he's here to give us a bit of an inside look as to what he's seen. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So can you give us a sense of some of the challenges that schools are facing that you are seeing right now? Well, one of the big challenges that uh, school administrators, if I can talk first about principals, for example, is that every decision they're making is taking place in a very highly polarized environment. And that's little and big decisions, but, but everything is facing uh, uh, an audience, half of whom applaud what they're doing and half of whom um, protest what they're doing. And so that adds additional stress to, to many decisions that normally uh, may have taken place in a much quieter uh, context. So, so that's one thing that's become very challenging. And adding to that, of course, then is the pandemic. The, I would call it the elephant in the room, but I don't think elephant is a big enough term to, to describe it. For example, uh, this week, I was at a meeting with Maricopa County Health, and they mentioned that in Maricopa County, there had been, just since the beginning of the new year, 304 uh, outbreaks in schools. And so that's led to just a, a, a staff shortage. Teachers, of course, being the most obvious part of that, but also a, a really daunting shortage of bus drivers, cafeteria workers, office staff. And, and for example, it's extremely difficult to run, say, an elementary school if your school secretary and clerk are out. And because they have knowledge of running the school that very few others possess. And if they're gone, there's not many people who can replace them. If half your bus drivers are out, 
and you're not getting kids to school or you're calling parents and saying uh, your son and or daughter are going to be coming to school an hour late today and we will try to serve them breakfast but if we have cafeteria workers to do so and food preparers to prepare the food and then you're telling the teachers if you have teachers in the classroom the kids are all going to be an hour late so alter your lesson plans and, and, and by the way, those of you who are here on your prep period, you're going to be covering other teachers' classes because many of your colleagues are, are out ill. And so don't count on any preparation time and have a good day. So it's just, and that's every day. Schools are doing their best to stay open while also trying to balance that with public safety, trying to keep everyone as healthy as possible. Are there any success stories in this? Well, there are some remarkable success stories in some ways um, that, that we are keeping the schools open is a remarkable success story. The schools are generally not closing. Occasionally, classrooms are closing, but schools are not closing. Extracurricular activities, which for many students are are vital to not just education academically, but but socially and emotionally as well. Uh, sports seasons are being played, concerts are being held, students are continuing to make friends and to thrive in, in this challenging environment. Um, I for, forgot to even mention, of course, the, the decision about whether to require masks or not masks in schools. And that, of course, falls beyond the range of the principals. They get to enforce those things. But but the, speaking of school leaders, the superintendents and governing boards make those decisions. And, of course, they face uh, the wrath of a divided community. If you require masks, you alienate many in the community. If you don't require masks, you alienate the other half of the community. Nobody's happy. And, and so all of this uncertainty uh, continues and, and really uh, causes sleepless nights among our administrators. And they also, of course, deeply worry about the, the mental health as well as the physical health of their students. We talk about being student-centered, so you worry constantly about, am I doing the right thing for students? Are we educating our students? Are we keeping them healthy? Are we providing a safe, welcoming environment for them? And then secondly, your families as well. So that causes, traditionally that causes sleepless nights, and now that it causes sleepless nights even more. Teachers are at the front lines, obviously. They're among those educators who are on the front lines, and they're having to interact with parents and students in a way that has to be the most challenging way that many of these people have seen ever in their careers. What sort of stress is that putting on the teacher and the parent and then that relationship and trying to keep students learning, successful, and on the trajectory, on the path for moving on to the next grade and not falling behind? It, it, it has put uh, additional stress on that relationship because often the teachers are the are the, the first connection with with home, and and if there becomes a a learning problem, often it's the teacher who's first informing the parent, or or sometimes the parent feels not informing them enough, or if there's a a mask requirement and and the student is not complying, or 
maybe not complying quickly enough. Sometimes that falls to the teacher initially, and then the parent uh, steps in, and there's tensions that arise that normally don't. But what we've also found, though, is is the contrary, that there's great appreciation among many parents for the efforts that the teachers are making. The, the, of course, remote learning has introduced different levels to that relationship as well. When there's been remote learning and you have students at home learning remotely watching the teacher, you have parents getting a different view of education and and sometimes watching and, and thinking, oh, this should be happening instead of this. You have that aspect, but you also have another aspect. You have parents who have been at home trying to educate their kids and realizing I'm having a terrible time doing this with my one child and a teacher is doing this with 25 to 30 and they've come to realize, wow, that teacher is accomplishing amazing things with 30 kids and my child hates me as a teacher and I only have one or two and so that teacher is a miracle worker. So it's introduced different perspectives to that relationship in many ways it's given parents a, a great appreciation for what teachers are able to accomplish in daunting circumstances. Well, Ron and I certainly appreciate our kids as teachers. I can tell you that. I definitely could not do that job. Um, I guess final question for you. How does this thing end in terms of the education challenges and, you know, this this school year, future school years, how do you see, how do you see this thing long-term playing out? Uh, for many of our students who, who maybe are not um, learning as much in this environment as they could be, the accelerating their learning back to where, where it once was is going to take some time. And, and it's going to take some patience on the part of the teachers the parents and the kids themselves. We can't expect that, oh, by the end of this year, if everything goes back to normal, uh, we'll all be caught up or back to where we should have been. It's going to take longer than that. If some students have experienced some delays because of all the constant disruptions, it, it may take some time. And that when I say time, I don't mean a matter of months often. It might be a matter of a couple of years then then we all need to be understanding of each other as we progress in this together. And we ask as what we ask of the public is what we're asking also of ourselves. Be patient when we when we um, try things that don't work to understand that that failure was uh, something we can learn from and that success is something that we can build upon. All right, Mark, I think we're good. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for this opportunity to talk about Arizona education. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. Yvonne, we heard Yana refer to uh, some of the things that are being done to try and help manage all of this. Of course, our friends at the legislature are doing what they can or what they want uh, to try and help manage COVID uh, into the future. Do you have a sense as to what we might be seeing legislatively coming down the pike from uh, the Republican-controlled legislature? 
I think the governor made it pretty clear he is going to go full bear on the school choice front and don't know specifically what that means. He clearly has tried to expand the ESA program to all public school children, signed it into law, voters repealed it, and essentially took away his ability to reenact that exact program. But we all know there's lots of workarounds. And uh, the governor has proven that he is not going to let this go. Neither um, are the Republicans in both the House and the Senate. This has been a key priority of them for decades, and they are going to to continue to move on this front. They have a lot of interests, uh, moneyed interests, uh, think tanks that share their interests on this, a lot of donors who want to see something big uh, before the governor exits left stage uh, next year. So this is going to be the year to do it. I'm sure they will uh, leverage this moment of pretty severe anxiety among parents who are frustrated and um, upset and don't really have a lot of answers um, as to how to sort of address some of these challenges that they've been facing and perhaps looking to other alternatives as a way to try to catch their kids up with the learning loss and perhaps think outside of the box um, about their kids' education, maybe in a way that they haven't done before. This obviously is going to be an issue that, you know, if this continues along the same route, is going to weigh heavily on voters' minds heading into the 2022 election. We've seen uh, all kinds of conservative groups, Turning Point, for example, try to uh, really put the issue of critical race theory front and center. But it seems to me, uh, and maybe I'm off the mark, but it seems to me like what I hear people talking most about is just the continued frustration about um, trying to keep kids in school. And it starts at six o'clock, six thirty every morning, and it doesn't end until late into the night when the homework is done. And it seems to me that this could have pretty severe uh, impacts on the midterm elections. Yeah, one thing that we saw recently was the President Biden remarking about the still unused resources that have been sent to schools uh, to help manage the pandemic. And there's a sense among others on Capitol Hill that uh, there are unmet needs and frustration at how to try and uh, break that logjam. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Before you go, please rate and review our show and share this episode with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. And I'm at Yvonne Winget. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. You can also follow this show and other Arizona Republic podcasts like Valley 101 on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. For The Gaggle, I'm Ron Hansen. We'll see you next week.